Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. So we were having such a dynamic conversation with our Gen Z panel that we decided to extend it for two episodes because there's so much to learn from these uh, amazing guests that we have today. So we're back with Beryl Wang, Jack Farrell, and Amelia Haynes. And so we're just going to continue our conversation from the last episode. And if you haven't heard the last episode, definitely go back and listen to it. You know, obviously times have changed, I hope, and really curious from you as to when you think about the future and when you talk about it with your friends, what matters most? Is it still about kind of that that work, family life piece, or is it travel? Is it broader aspects of society and culture? What really matters to you when you think about your future? I think as a generation, we want it all and are finding ways to make it make work and all the other puzzle pieces fit in with the rest of our lives. I think with today's focus on work-life balance and mental health, having those two pillars can make everything else work. I think there's been a cultural paradigm shift, especially through COVID and hybrid work and remote work, where people see that there's room for it all and there's really no reason not to strive towards that. That's amazing. So Amelia, if you think about your experience in college and your university and really think about, you know, how well you feel like you were prepared for what you're doing now. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you think universities could do a better job in actually preparing students for for working and having this amazing work life that you all are really exploring with us today? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I I was part of a sort of unique but really exciting program that sort of let me build my major out of just like the coursework that I found particularly interesting. And that was awesome. And I think the benefit of that was that I got this degree where when I came out of college, I had something that wasn't an off-the-shelf major. And I think that made me stand out as a candidate. There were parts of that that I didn't entirely understand, though, how to why to my future work. So I, I had all these bits and pieces and it was really exciting. It's really interesting. And I think it made me really unique. But there were there were moments when I was like, I don't get how they relate to the job market. And I didn't really have a great sense of how to translate all of my skills into like a template of of just like a job. You know, you're looking at a bunch of different opportunities and you see titles and you see all these things and you see job descriptions, but I found that there weren't a lot of job descriptions that really helped me fit what I did and what I had learned and the skills that I had built into these like molds or templated like job descriptions. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I don't feel entirely like my coursework or my professors or, or even really my college career office kind of helped me understand what I had to offer in the terms that organizations were looking for. And so 
it kind of created some tension in, in, I think, and actually the research shows that I'm not alone in that. There are a lot of people who are struggling with feeling like they don't actually under, they don't, they don't feel like their employers actually understand what it is they bring to the table. And they end up feeling pretty underutilized, kind of demoralized and ultimately disengaged. And it just seems like there's this translation gap between students or between organizations and between employers that may ultimately be attributing to the talent shortage that we're experiencing in the market. And so I think that finding a way to help students and help university express their classes and express their skills and express these things that they've spent the four years or two years or however many years building into concrete, translatable, applicable skills that are used and are really highly valued in the marketplace is a kind of key area that could be built upon or developed much better to really reduce these miscommunications between employees and employers. That is that is so well said. Amelia, I went to NYU and I remember when I graduated, I said, I can't tell you what I learned. <laughs> it didn't help me on Wall Street, didn't help me invest. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I totally hear you. So thank you for that, Amelia. All of you are so thoughtful in the way that you're thinking about your future. And it's a huge investment to make of time and money. And so can you do kind of the outcome of that it used to be networking was worth the price of the degree, but you know, we're going to pivot now to talking about social media barrel and you all being the first post-digital generation, meaning that you've never known a world without internet, essentially. And, you know, perhaps your parents kept it from you for period of time, but for the most part, you've grown up on social media and, you know, employers have really had to get used to the idea that people are on social media. And it was very, you know, when I came up, well, actually in my twenties, it was kind of like, don't post anything that you don't want to get fired for. And you have to be very careful about your personal brand. And I've even seen the evolution in raising my two boys. I have a 19 year old and a 16 year old and, and really they both have professional Instagram accounts for their own interests and passions and the way they want to put the, themselves out there kind of in this more professional manner. So, Beryl, you know, when you think about, again, your generation and the use of social media, do you think building a personal brand is really essential to to kind of your career? And what is your thoughts on is your generation really careful around social media? Do you think employers need to embrace it more? What are what are your general thoughts on that? So I'm personally not a big social media person. Don't have Instagram, pretty quiet on LinkedIn, but I think it can definitely be a great tool to connect with others and amplify your voice. I'd say growing up with it now, our generation is quite cognizant of the fact that you know, your social media is often the first impression you give off to people, employers included. So it's important to put the best version of yourself out there. Um, but I would say it depends on the employer um, when thinking about what they're, what people are posting. But I imagine that most companies have bigger worries than what their employees are posting on Instagram. Like Beryl said, I think it's a very important tool to utilize. It's actually something I'm working on for my own professional development to be able to post and not have it be awkward. I think it's interesting because you get a mix of generations on there. I recently saw someone who I used to work with who I think is, he would he would be 20, 30 years older than me, posted what he would consider like a meme on LinkedIn. 
and he's like a communications guy and, and it was very interesting like it made me laugh but i was like it's a little bit awkward that he just posted a meme on linkedin i was like is that what we're doing now on here kind of couldn't tell so but he, he was a communications guy so i was like he's leading the way i guess i would never post one because i think i think it's interpreted differently by different generations right kind of what you talked about before where a little more buttoned up earlier if you go back to gen gen x people and i think sometimes our gen z people are a little bit worried about i guess the alternate would be too un- unbuttoned so to speak so i think it's interesting interpreting those i always have fun on linkedin seeing seeing what people put up there uh and and working on the courage to post more myself. <laughs> Excellent. You know, I think you bring up a good point from a marketing perspective. It's know your audience, right? Know who your target is. And different channels of social media have different audiences and they're really built for different purposes. So when you start to to meme on LinkedIn, maybe it doesn't fly as well as it would on, on TikTok or Instagram. But Amelia, how about you with that question? Yeah, I mean, I think that even just their on Jack's kind of responses show that there's a huge range in how people interact with social media platforms and how they're comfortable social or interacting with social media platforms. I would say I fall kind of somewhere in the middle, like Apple LinkedIn. And I publish a lot of my work on LinkedIn. I publish a lot of my colleagues' work on LinkedIn, but it doesn't like I'm doing it for work. Whereas I feel like things like Instagram or Facebook, although I don't think our generation's really using Facebook all that much anymore, it it does have this more personal feel to it. And I think that people are conscious of the fact that it is accessible. And um, I don't know, I, I feel like I see my peers responding to that fact really, really differently. I think that there are a lot of people who are like, yes, it's accessible. I should kind of maintain this buttoned up appearance. I only want to post my best self. I, you know, I'm really kind of curating my brand and my persona on this platform. (laughs) I see people go totally the opposite direction of like, you know, this is my summer photo dump and they include all sorts of things that I either don't understand or (laughs) can't really figure out what they are. And I, I think that what kind of that brings to light for me is that I think that people understand the boundaries really differently. And people, I think that there are people for whom they don't place as many boundaries between their employers and themselves as other people do. And I think that it's possible that those who have post whatever and don't seem to have that more buttoned up thing, it's possible that they believe that there should be greater boundaries between their organizations and their social media. And maybe they kind of see that as off limits to their workplace. Or maybe there are people who do kind of maintain that more like curated brand profile. And there's sort of an expectation that it's out there. So it is what it is. I don't know. I think it's such a personal thing. And Mm -hmm. I think people approach it super differently. And I think that's true across generations. But I've certainly seen it be true within just Gen Z alone. What what about newer technology? So obviously, there's so many different forms of AI that we're seeing right now. And chat GPT, right? We're all talking about that. I've even played, we've all played around with it. And you can really see the power and the opportunity that's in there. But, you know, of course, with something that big, a lot of people react with fear. So you see universities starting to ban it. I wonder if you all, maybe Amelia, if you could just share what your thoughts are on what, what, from a generational perspective, do you think, how should we react to this? You know, I mean, I, my gut is telling me probably, you know, saying we ban things is probably not the right play, place to go, a way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen a lot of like universities and particularly schools seem to be uh, those with the most heightened concerns about the use of those kinds of AIs 
technologies in, in that environment. And I think for me, it kind of comes down to what you see the role of those higher education institutions as being. If you think that the role is to carry on a tradition of education, then yeah, I could I could understand why you might not be comfortable with your students using those technologies or kind of having them readily available and accessible on your campuses. I personally don't really see the role of education institutions that way. I think that their role, if, if it may a little be a little bit reductionist of me, I think it's to prepare people for the next thing. I think high school is there to prepare you for college. And I think college is there to prepare you for whatever for you comes after college. And what I don't see is organizations in the corporate world banning these kinds of things. You know, I see in my teams and in, in the kind of spaces that I exist online, I see people looking for ways to implement them and incorporate them into what they do, really try to accommodate like the future of these technologies. So if the role of universities is what I see it to be to prepare people for these next things, then it doesn't make sense to ban them. You know, it's it's not a question of oh, you know, if we ban chat GPT and if we ban this AI, are students going to use it anyway? I think the question is, if we ban them, will they be prepared for what comes next? So Amelia, I think you're absolutely right. Our job is to prepare you for what's, what's next. It's just the next business tool, a digital version of an encyclopedia. It's just getting smarter. So let's dig in and make it smarter. So thank you for your response. Jack, I wanted to also ask you about a technology question. What technology do you think is most relevant now for universities and employers to leverage when it comes to working with Gen Z? Any technologies come to mind for you? Well, I think I think I would say leveraging. I mean, there's a lot there. Uh, I do think that Chat GPT is, is something that should be at the forefront. It's very interesting you talk about assigned to your students. I think fear is not the way to go when it comes to new things. I think that it should be embraced and it's not your job to ban something. It's your job to adapt to it. In my opinion, I think banning is the easiest thing to do. So adapting to it like you are, I think is the smartest thing. I also think technologies all over actually still need more emphasis in education. I came from a pre-med, like a bio background, and it was very sad how little uh, which was none. I got zero training in any sort of even Microsoft. The focus was not on those, which I think are core in operating in any work environment. I mean, I think doctors need to know that. I work with doctors all the time in clinical trials and they need to have an operational sense of, of a, an Excel, whether they're, you know, 27 or they're 45, like whatever the range is. So I think there still needs to be more emphasis on those basic tools. And I think that should actually be more of the requirements that are being put in place for colleges is understanding those technologies and then also adding the new ones. I mean, I think of it, I think of it parallel to kind of cursive, almost cursive was something that was taught almost in the reverse, right? Cursive was taught and then never used. And I think that you need to adapt to, we don't necessarily need to teach kids cursive anymore. I hope that there's no huge cursive advocates in, in the group here. But I think there needs to be an adaptation as education changes to focus on different skill sets that are going to be needed after college. It's it's interesting because I just recently had this handwriting conversation with someone who was older than me, and they were really like really upset that handwriting isn't taught in schools. And neither of my kids, again, I mentioned they're 19 and 16, ever had handwriting course. And my 
My six-year-old's left-handed and he holds a pencil a bit strangely and no, it was never corrected. And my older son's a little bit, he's even a little bit like someone should have corrected that, <laughs> but he doesn't write like with a handwriting. So it's, it's really interesting to see how things kind of get phased out of education and, you know, whether or not as an institution, you think we should adapt this quickly or we should ban it the train's leaving the station. Like it's kind of like you got to get on board and yes, you can have a kind of a historical or heritage like perspective on, on some of the ways that people have learned, but it is important to think about the future in order to prepare folks. So as we come in to our close of this podcast, and I have to say, thank you again for your time that we've extended it over the course of two podcasts, because this is the most enlightening conversation, I think, for a lot of people to hear. And I can't, I kind of want to bring you back every year to see how things have changed for you because you're the older Gen Z's. Your younger counterparts are about 10, 15 years younger than you. It'll be interesting to see even the differences within a generation. Um, as we close, if you could give one piece of advice to employers as to how they can attract and really retain Gen Z, what piece of advice would you give them? So first we'll go to Amelia. Sure. Thanks. It's pretty simple, but my advice would be to just listen. I think that people come in with a lot of assumptions about Gen Z. And I think that not only do they risk being totally inaccurate, but it's not necessary. Gen Z is basically born with a microphone in their hand. We'll tell you exactly how we feel in 140 characters or less. And we kind of expect to be heard because we've been brought up with these platforms where we're paid attention to. And, you know, we have always had an outlet for our voice and we use it. So there's so many mechanisms and modalities to just pay attention to what Gen Z is telling you about what they want, what they need, and what's going to keep them there. You can just listen to them and they, they have an expectation that they'll be heard. So that's what I would say. That's excellent. Amelia, thank you. How about you, Beryl? I would go back to our previous conversation about how impactful managers are. I'd advise employers to really handpick and develop managers intentionally. I think it's quite common for companies to, you know, as someone becomes more senior, just move them into a managerial role. But I think it needs to be more deliberate than that. Some people aren't meant to be managers. They're meant to be maybe top performing individual contributors. And that's completely fine. But managers are so impactful and are huge drivers of culture in the workplace. So I think cultivating good managers and leaders is crucial for retaining talent. Excellent. Wow. Great, great answers. And Jack, not to put the pressure on you, Jack, but what piece of advice would you give? I think Amelia and Beryl really hit great points. I'll also kind of go back to what I kind of had said originally. I think there needs to be a lot of self-reflection. This is something that I think is super difficult. I'm not saying this can be done just in one day. I think a company needs to come together with their senior leadership and figure out what makes them unique or what they can do to really stand out. You can't have your lines be competitive pay and collaborative work. I hammered it, but that's like, I cannot hear that line one more time. You need to have something. It could be a wide variety of things, but you need to say, hey, here's our culture. Here's our, here are the factors that drive our culture. And looking at these factors, we're going to offer this, this event, this item, this support to our staff, I think it's it's super important that 
you look internally and it's not something you can Google. It's not something you find. It's got to be a creative process, a collaborative process with your team to come up with that. Really, I think drive Gen Z to, to, to want to work there. And, and like I said, show you off that when you're out drinking with your friends, say my company does this and you want your friends to go, what? I've never heard of that. That's amazing. You know? Excellent. An authentic value proposition that's really differentiated from, from the competition. I have to say, I am, people weren't impressed by Gen Z. They will be after these podcasts. So I need, I have to say thank you so much, all three of you for joining us for a full hour. Laura, Michael, I think the future is bright. What do you think? Seriously, seriously. So impressed. Thank you so much. It's been amazing. I'm really impressed with just the, the thoughtfulness that you've put mm-hmm. into, into work. My generation, we didn't put that much into it. And I think you're going to be a great generation. I think you are a great generation. I think you're better than the one that I was born in. So uh, <laughs> I might get a facelift and join you, but I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.